Welcome to Dentistry Uncut, the stuff you wish you knew. Welcome to the podcast. I bet if you're a dentist in Indiana, you might have heard of our next guest today. Dr. David Wolf is joining us. He's likely your friend, your mentor, a colleague on a board, a fellow fundraiser for a school or community program. Maybe you know him as uh, you are a member of the Indiana Dental Association as he's your current IDA president. One thing is for certain, though, he is a busy man with a ton of commitments. So we very much appreciate you joining us this morning, Dr. Wolf. Oh, happy to do it. Thanks for asking. I know your schedule is full. There is no doubt about that. Um, so, you know, what I, I guess what I'd like to do is just um, allow our guests to get to know you a little bit um, for those that, that maybe haven't had the opportunity. Um, so I figured we start with a question. Um, how is it that you came into dentistry? What was it uh, that drew you into the dental profession? Well, there's, there's a lot of reasons, really. Um, I think in uh, junior high, high school, I love science, love biology, especially the hands-on stuff, dissecting, that kind of thing. So uh, I, I knew that I was going to go that direction. Probably like eighth grade, really, I started thinking about dentistry. Um, I knew I wanted a job where I could be inside and I could be clean, have clean clothes on. My dad labor. Um, uh, he poured concrete, laid brick and, you know, worked, worked out in the hot weather and the cold weather and the wet weather. And in the winter, uh, there wasn't much work. And as a result, we were really poor. And um, I just knew that um, uh, I wanted a better life for my family. And uh, the only way I could see doing it was to to get an education. So I worked like a dog, always had three jobs and and uh, had to pay for my college. I knew uh, I wasn't going to get any help from home. And my dad died when I was in high school. So, uh, you know, went from bad to worse. So uh, um, by uh, working a lot, I was able to pay for all my college as I went along. I went to University of Southern Indiana, grew up in Evansville. And uh, uh, I had enough saved up to pay for my first year of dental school. And uh, sophomore year, had enough left to uh uh, buy my wife a diamond ring and pay for our honeymoon to Hawaii. So after that, I was tapped out, but uh, uh, I hope my kids never have to work that hard. But uh, uh, I just knew that uh, I wanted a better life for my family. And that's an <laughs> accomplishment. Uh, you know, I always like fixing things too and figuring out how things worked. And you have to do that every day in dentistry. So uh, that was, that makes it a good match for me. Um and I, I, I'm like you, Nate. I, I have to be around people. I mean, I'm just uh, interacting with people is important. Um, I like the pace of dentistry in my office, constantly moving around. Um, I, I couldn't be an engineer. My wife's a chemical engineer. There's no way I could sit in a, a cubicle in front of a computer all day or, and work or be like an accountant and crunch uh, <laughs> numbers. Uh, that's just not me. Right. So um, uh, my dentist. Uh, growing up, I, you know, he was a good role model. I, I could see myself doing that. I think that was uh, important. And um, uh, my, my grandma, my mom's mother had dentures. And so even though we had no money, my mom somehow, it wasn't every six months, but somehow she would pool money together and get us into the dentist. So she said, I never want you to, you know, to be like grandma. And uh, so that was something that was really important to, uh, to her. And I think that influenced me. And then I think the other attractive thing is, 
is uh, uh, having your own business, you know, creating something of your own and having control of that, having control of, of your life and having the flexibility to take vacations whenever you want and, and not having, uh, you know, a corporation or someone else telling you what to do. So anyway, I hope that answers the question. Just lots of reasons. And for me, it just turned out to be a perfect match. I mean, I couldn't be happier with what I'm doing. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's, a I think that's a fantastic story from the story. standpoint of understanding the struggle that you kind of went through, but also the the effort that you were able to to put in to allow yourself to put your family, your fa- future family. At the time, you didn't necessarily know what the family would look like in the future, but put right. them on the you know the pathway to success. So when you think about you know wanting to be an owner, and you talked about that, and I laughed a little bit when you. <laughs> mentioned, you know, you didn't want to be an engineer. And I've heard people describe dentistry as kind of this artistic, but also engineering like blend together because sure. you have some of those similar skill sets where you need to have the, you know, the, the knowledge and expertise, but also have some creativity to, to solve some of those issues. When you look at, you know, your, your experiences as a practice owner, what was challenging? So knowing that you lost your father, you know, do you have other mentors that were able to come alongside you when you became a practice owner to help you know, you understand because you didn't come from a family of business owners. So when you're the first right. person in your family to be a business owner, yeah, like, no healthcare. how do you, how do you, you know, understand that where you didn't have, you know, your, your dad was a dentist and he can kind of show you the ropes or, or something else in the family. Was that a big challenge? Was there a lot of lessons learned? And then kind of, how do you think about that? Well, uh, when I first started practice, um, I read more business books the first two years in practice than I ever thought I would in my lifetime. I mean, that's just, you have to get that knowledge. Um, another thing, I, I joined the Greenwood Sertoma Club, right? Someone invited me right after uh, I got into practice. So I got to know a lot of other business owners, uh, you know, in other industries. And there's always some overlap and you can learn from from anyone, Um uh, I, I'll joke my, my, I have a patient that's a plumber and, and, uh, he always says, remember the five P's prior planning prevents piss poor performance. So, uh, you know, you can learn from anyone. So, uh, uh, that was, uh, one way, uh, I was lucky the church that I went to when I was in dental school, um, I met a dentist there that had just retired and she, um, uh, realized that it was a mistake. She wasn't ready to retire. So, she rented a uh, space, a chair, two days a week in my office so she could work some more. And wow, what a great role model I had. I mean, she introduced me to all the specialists in the area. Uh, she was active in the dental society. Uh, we would meet at meetings. She would introduce me to everyone. Um, and uh, she was actually the president of the National Women's Dental Association, uh, Delia Reeser. When, when uh, she was in dental school, she was a real pioneer. Uh, when she was in dental school, it was her and Betty Koss were the only two uh, uh, female dentists at that time in uh, those uh, four years. So uh, obviously that's changed now, but uh, I had a great, great role model. It, and I love having still having someone that you can bounce ideas off. And I think physicians, you know, they're in the hospital or group practice and they can, uh, you know, ask somebody, hey, look at this x-ray, look at this case. As dentists, you know, we get kind of isolated uh, and uh, you're on your own. So I, I really appreciate having, you know, uh, someone around me to bounce ideas off of. 
And I think you made a really interesting comment about how she was able to introduce you to those within organized dentistry and the specialist. And can you talk a little bit about your, your role and the importance of organized dentistry that you've seen not only professionally, but personally, and some of those relationships that have come out of it? Because you made a great point on the physician piece, because you are a little out on your own island and you don't get some of the sure. you know, feedback right away from other peers and like what they're seeing or what they're doing. So yeah, just, I guess, talk about some of your roles in organized dentistry. And I know Nate kind of kicked things off and talked about how you've done a lot in that space. And I know there's a lot of dentists around the, the state of Indiana. I've been really appreciative of all the work you've done. Well, when I was in dental school, I don't know, for me, there was never a question. I, I knew I was going to join the, uh, the Indianapolis Dental Society and the uh, Indiana Dental Association, American Dental Association. Um, there just wasn't a question. I think if you're a professional, you have to join and belong to your professional association. So um, I joined immediately upon graduation and, you know, got busy with some uh, committees, uh, being on committees at uh, the component level and enjoyed that and uh, did the same uh, with IDA. Then I don't know. I can remember probably my second year in practice at that time, Sally uh, Snyder was the, our uh, executive director. And uh, she uh, told me, she said, someday you're going to be IDA president. And like looked at her and think, there is no way I have no desire to do that. I don't even have the desire to be the component president. Well, uh, I, she saw something in me that, that I certainly didn't, but uh I uh, have enjoyed being involved. Luckily, I have a wife that's allowed me because it, it does take time away from the family to be involved in, in all the different organizations as well as the Dental Society. So I think it's uh, it's hard to find that balance sometime, but I've, I've certainly tried. But I think you ask, how has it helped me in other ways? You know, um, being in a leadership role in the, the Dental Society has definitely I don't know, groomed me or given me the opportunity to to practice hone my skills. So, uh, you know, I've chaired multiple capital cam capital campaigns for our church, built a new, you know, started a church from uh, nothing and uh, just recently chaired a capital campaign for Ron Colley High School to raise $8 million to build a new gym. Um, so I've had leadership roles at church in uh, Sertoma, the Chamber of Commerce. Um, I'm on the board of uh, Remember the Children, the organization I go to Romania with. So, uh, being involved in the dental association, having a leadership role has definitely, you know, helped me in all facets of my life. So be it that you're so ingrained in organized dentistry, what do you think one of the, or what do you think the largest challenge for organized dentistry is in the future? Um, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of changes in the future. I think, uh, the, the role or the, the practice of one practitioner, uh, having private practice, working alone, you know, maybe having one or two dental assistants and a one or two hygienists. Uh, I think that model is going to change. I think because the equipment has, has uh, become more expensive to have all of the, the latest technology, uh, it has to be used all the time to make it cost effective. So uh, having multiple dentists in a practice, uh, you know, allows for that, makes more sense for those kind of things. So, um, I, I really think that uh, there'll be a, a transition more and more where you see group practices and the corporate owned practices uh, just because of, uh, and we've seen that in medicine already, you know, the, the cost of uh, diagnostic equipment is, uh, is sky high. So it has to be in function and use all the time to make it practical. So uh, I think our model will, will uh, follow theirs. 
you mentioned uh, Romania. Mm -hmm. um, you've made the trek to Romania for how many years now? Well, I've been involved with the organization for over 20 years, but um, I've gone uh, 13 times uh, to uh, provide care over there. Tell me if you if you wouldn't mind share with us maybe an experience that you've had over there that that's uh, that's changed you. Oh well, I I'll 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 do a couple. Uh, Even better. Um, I have uh, I had a one of the orphan kids, thirteen years old, and had a bombed out first molar, and you know here we would send him to oral surgery and they'd be sedated. Um, so, you know, I got him numb and you know, had to lay a flap, section the tooth, take it out in pieces. And I keep asking him, you know, you OK, Philip? You OK? Yeah, no problem. I'm doing great. And uh, uh, when I was done, he just looked me in the face and said, thank you for helping us. And. Uh, it really got to me because uh, teenagers here, I don't think are that mature. I, I just think uh, he knew that was an opportunity. He was, you know, he had to get out of pain and he took advantage of it. Um, you know, in my practice, the teenagers complain about the taste of sealants we put on their teeth so they don't get cavities. But, you know, it's a different mindset there. So, um, you know, he hung he hung around until uh, I was finished that day and I was driving an old beat up station wagon and load my equipment up. And he came in and said, uh, let me help you uh, load up and I'll clean up. I'll take care of it. Thanks for helping us. So I've just, I was, uh, you know, uh, really taken by that level of maturity. And then another another uh, uh, fun story. My very first trip, I had this probably twelve year old girl that was my interpreter, uh, sterilized instruments, you know, high energy, a lot of fun. And um, so, you know, I've gone year after year, so I've got to see her grow up. And then a few years ago, uh, uh, she sent me an invitation to her wedding. So for me, that was uh, really That's pretty cool. And as it turned out, her wedding was at the time when I was going to be over there for one of my two week uh, trips. And uh, so I got to go to my first Romanian wedding. And wow, that was an experience. And what was that like? You go to the uh, you go to the groom's house and uh, you uh, eat and drink. Uh, you go to the bride's house and you eat and you drink. Then you go to the church and you have the uh, uh, celebration there. And then you go to the. Uh, uh, reception and you have uh, uh, one appetizer after another brought out and you drink palinka and wine while you're uh, enjoying that. And then they bring out uh, an entree after an entree after an entree. And uh, then it's uh, fancy desserts and it just goes on and on and they dance and sing. And, um, you know, uh, we left like two o'clock in the morning and it was still going strong. So uh, it's an all day event. It, uh, it you sound like you were stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, more than stuffed. It's amazing. They just keep bringing out food. It's just uh, uh, they gorge you. It's crazy. Well, I really appreciate you sharing those stories. That's I, I, I will say um, something that was very touching to me. So Dr. Wolf and I have known each other for several years. And, and I was always excited when you got ready to do your trip because I'd try to yeah. talk to some of the different manufacturers yeah. and, and grab some supplies to help the, yeah, the cause. Oh, it's, it was our pleasure. And um, he brought me back, and I still use this today, by the way, an oven mitt that was made by some of the locals, <laughs> right? Remember that oven mitt? Oh, I don't even remember that. Yeah, I do. <laughs> the back. Blue wow. oven mitt. And uh, I think more than that, and, and again, thank you for that, because it's something that's special for me. But um, 
he also sent me back some pictures and the smiles on the faces of so many of the people that you helped. Um, it was, it, it was definitely an, an emotional thing to look and see, um, what you're doing over there. So, um, can't say how much I can appreciate and respect all the, the time and energy that you spend to do that. Yeah. Well, the, you, you can feel the appreciation so much. It just makes you want to do it more and more. So, uh, I, I look forward to that every year. Well, I totally want to go to a Romanian wedding now. It sounds like a blast. Yeah, you need to. <laughs> so you mentioned experience. You mentioned all the, the food and the wine and and kind of the experience that you had there. Um, those that maybe don't know you, you're quite the wine connoisseur. I know at some of the IDDS events, you've brought in some of your. Your, uh, your selection from from your wine cellar. How is it that you got into to to wine? And and I guess would you call it a collector? Or um, well, I, I I don't really collect anything. I I only whatever I buy, no matter how good or bad it is, I buy it to drink. And I, I like having something for everyone. Everybody's at a different level, you know. If you like uh, sweet wine, I'll have some of that for you. And if you want, uh, you know, an outstanding cab, I can pull that out for you. Uh, I really, you know, I said I grew up, we really didn't have anything. We had always had a garden and uh, we had fruit trees, um, cherry trees, plum trees, pear, apple. We canned everything out of necessity. My mom worked like crazy, so she would can everything. And we had grapevines too, so she would make grape jelly. And I think if she had like a three-year supply stashed up and we still had grapes left, uh, my grandma would make grape wine. So, and she never much like five gallons, but I can remember helping do helping her do that. And that was just, I don't know, it's a, a fun memory. And then uh, I have a brother-in-law that lives out near Napa. So we, you know, go out and visit every year. And after going to, uh, you know, so many wineries, it just, it, it became a, a hobby. So yeah, I do. I've got a nice cellar. I've got a few hundred bottles uh, here, but uh, you know, nothing, I don't buy it to like for investment hope it goes up or we'll sell it. Anything I buy, I, I like to share with others and, and I love to cook. So it's fun to uh, have wine to pair with, uh, with food when you uh, create something, have folks over. And we've had, we've hosted countless fundraisers here at the house and, uh, you know, I have 250 people here and, and uh, make a bunch of uh, appetizers and uh, have wine to pair with each thing. So, uh, you know, I enjoy doing that. Yeah, actually, I, uh, soup is probably my favorite thing. I don't know if I told you, Nate, I'm writing a cookbook. Uh, Dr. Really? Mitchell, with me because uh, I'm always bringing soup in and so anyway it's it's uh, going to be simple savory soups and uh, right now I've got close to 60 soups that I because I she said you have to write the recipe down well I don't have a recipe I just do it or I'll you know have something at a restaurant like I, I could recreate that or going to Romania I've I've made there's three soups that I've had there that I love and I, I think I'm pretty spot on. They, they're uh, just like over there. And then I went to Tanzania last week with the, or last year with uh, remember the children. And uh, so they had a celebration. They were opening a new orphan home and ribbon cutting. And so the ladies were all outside cooking. So I asked the founder of remember the children. I said, do you think I could go over there and watch? He said, Oh, they'll put you to work Go on over. So I had fun spending time with the ladies uh, cooking outside in open kettle. And uh, I learned how to make two more soups. So anyway, uh, I love doing that. So hopefully I'll get that put together and, uh, and I can share that with other people. Sometime. When, when is your published date? 
Uh, who knows? <laughs> I think I'm done. And like, oh yeah, I, I haven't made that soup for a while. I need to write that down too. So nice. Anyway, I look forward to that. Yeah, I, I feel like we need to just have a, a wine and soup tasting some sort of <laughs> uh, event around that. But um, last thing on the on the wine piece um, before we move on to some other questions. But it, and I know like there's all these different wine ratings and these different things. And picking a favorite wine is probably trying to like pick a favorite child. Like you're not going to do that. But is there anything that sticks out that you you think this is a really good wine or one of your favorites or some something that you want to leave someone with that is interested in wine. Cause that's something that I've slightly started to get interested in more. I think I watched uh, on Hulu, they had the Psalm. There's like three different documentaries around people working to get their master sommelier license. Like, yeah. like, and I, I found that fascinating and, and learned a little bit about it. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And so hearing someone that has definitely, uh, you know, been into wine a lot more is, is something I just wanted to ask and kind of follow up on. Well, I, I can't say that I have a, a favorite wine. It really depends on, uh, you know, what food I'm having. But if I if I had to pick, um, it would probably be uh, Pride Merlot. And uh, Jim Pride was uh, a dentist and uh, practiced in uh, Santa Barbara. Uh, he uh, created uh, the Pride Institute, practice management for, uh, for dentists and their staffs. Uh, everything he did, he did well. He bought a neglected uh, uh winery or vineyards in uh it was half napa half sonoma and uh, uh turned that around and his uh when he first started selling his wines and i i got on his buying list they were like twenty dollars a bottle now they're like a hundred dollars a bottle and uh, so i would ha- i'd have to say and jim pride passed away several years ago from cancer so and i actually had an opportunity when we were out on one of our trips went to the winery and visited so um, that's pretty special. So, uh, I'd have to say the pride Merlot is if I had to pick, that would be, uh, my first choice to pull out of the cellar. It's the gold standard for uh, California Merlot. I appreciate that. That's a, a great story behind it too. Um, and just kind of reverting back and bouncing around different topics. One of the themes that I feel like, you know, through your story and, and talking about different things has been just being very disciplined and working hard and like that kind of drive and like the intensity to, to continue to work on it. I take it that's probably picked up from your parents and just seeing the struggles that were there and encouraging and motivating you. But, you know, how do you continue to have that after you've seen success? Right. Cause I think sometimes when people, you know, have that taste of success that can change and it doesn't seem like that's happened for you, which, you know, you want to be able to, to celebrate the victories, but also not become complacent in, in where you're at, but just wanted to kind of hear from you. What are ways that you've continued to stay motivated, engaged? Is it exercise? Is it routines? Is there anything else out there that you kind of do to keep you performing at a high level? Cause dentistry is hard on your body, right? Like it's not an easy job to do. Yeah. It's, it's a stressful job. Um, and, uh, you have to wear a lot of hats. So for me, um, and it's, this has kind of been, I don't know, always my, my life model. I tell my kids, uh, all the time, um, you know, don't procrastinate, don't waste a minute. Um, my, I wear a, a running ID when I, uh, when I'm out, uh, running, you know, in case there, there's ever an accident and, and ingrained on that, I have, you know, contact phone numbers, but my, my life logo is if you rest, you rest, you know, I, I think if you still, uh, don't do anything, uh, you just, uh, uh, fade away. So I guess I'm, I'm high energy, but uh, I don't know. I've always been weird when I was in junior high, 
I read a book on motion time analysis and I thought that was the coolest thing, you know, how to be efficient about everything you do. And I know you think I'm crazy, but, uh, you know, I, it's, uh, it's just the way I'm, I'm wired. And I think, you know, some people can look at a project and they're overwhelmed. Somebody else can look at it and know how to take it apart bite by bite and get it done in an efficient way. So, uh, I've been lucky that way. I, I took, uh, course from Pete Dawes. Well, I took several from him, but w- one of the uh, things that, that he did and suggested was uh, uh, take an index card and write down uh, things that you need to do, things that are important, and put it in your pocket. And then that way, when you've got five minutes downtime, you go to that and like, oh, here's here's the priority. I need to work on that. So, you know, if I need to write a journal, uh, an article for the IDA journal, that's going to be my focus. If I got five minutes, I can, you know, put some bullet points down. So when I have time to finish it, I can do that. Um, it's just so easy to sit in front of your desk and like go through your junk mail. And, you know, is that important? Uh, you know, you want to be, uh, you want to take care of those, the, the big jobs, the important things first, not those that are low priority. Um, for every organization, every committee I'm on, I, I keep a binder. I know this is old school, but you know, the, the, the index card's low tech too. That's just me. Uh, but I, I keep a binder. And so any we had a meeting last night, uh, IDA meeting, Zoom meeting. So uh, uh, all the important things, I can keep my notes on and put in the binder. Then we have the next meeting. I can pull it out and uh, I you know review and I know where, where we are, have been, where we're heading. So um, uh, I'm just I don't know. I'm not I'm just I'm not a sideline person. I can't sit on the sidelines and watch. I've got to be in the game and, you know, I don't want to make things happen. So. Uh, but to to stay, uh, I don't know, to stay high energy fit, uh, running has always been easy for me. It's just you put shoes on and shorts on and take off no matter where you are and whatever country you're in. So um, that's, uh, you know, obviously you look at me. I'm not a bodybuilder. I don't hang out at the gym, but uh, uh, I do put a lot of miles on uh, running shoes every year. So How, what, what's your normal run like? Well, during the week, I tried to do a couple short runs, five, six miles. And then every Saturday, probably for, I don't know, at least a dozen years, I'll do a half marathon every Saturday. Not official, you know, 13.1, but uh, I and I like to keep some on the books. Unfortunately, this year with COVID, everyone has been canceled or gone uh, virtual, which is no fun. But I, I need to have something on the books that keeps me motivated. I got to, you know, got to be in condition and ready to go and. You know, I don't want to be embarrassment out there uh, <laughs> running a real uh, marathon. What's the what's your favorite running shoe? There's all types of debate. If you're a runner, what's the right shoe to wear? Oh, there's only one. <laughs> See, I love I love Hoka's. I uh, was read about in, in Runner's Magazine years ago before you could buy them anywhere. And, I, and so I ordered a pair online and I'm like, oh, my gosh, these look like geriatric shoes. I can't wear those ugly things. But after wearing them. Oh my gosh, I haven't turned back. And I, a lot of my running uh, friends, uh, you know, they're, everybody has their favorite shoe. And uh, if I convince them to try them, they, they just, they won't turn back. I even have a friend that I've ran a couple marathons with that owns a, a New Balance shoe store. And so he tried the Hoka's and he can, you know, pick up his New Balance for free, but he wears Hoka's all the time exclusively now. Wow. So that's the shoe. If you rest, you rust. Did you hear that from someone or is it just something that you came up with? No, no. I, I heard it from a practice management speaker, Linda Miles, years ago. Okay. It just, it stuck with me. I like it. It's good. You don't rest. 
Um, I think one of one of the reasons why I, I you motivate uh, me and you know, Isaiah and I've did an introductory podcast uh, a little while back. And, and one of the things that we wanted this podcast to do is to be able to share some people's experiences and something about themselves that would help motivate others. And one of the things that I've noticed um, over the last several years is how organized you are. Um, and uh, I never knew about the the, uh, the index card in my pocket. Is that something that you still carry around? I've been doing it for 25 years. Nice. Okay. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Um, as a as a private practice owner, um, what what do you feel like is one of the more challenging things that, that you deal with on a regular basis? Well, you know, when you when you have a practice, uh, you have to wear a lot of different hats, and um, you know, sometimes you're a repairman, sometimes you're the janitor. You got to be the marketer. Um, every once in a while, you get to be the clinician. Uh, being the boss for me, that that's uh, that's always a challenge, you know, working, having 12 women to work with. And I have I have great staff, super staff. I'm so lucky. But trying to keep every person happy and on task every day uh, is is a uh, for me, that's uh, uh, an everyday uh, uh, challenge. So uh, and I, I'm bad. I don't stop and and. Uh, praise them and thank them enough. Usually by the time I get to the office, I've already made three stops and uh, I'm going hundred miles an hour and I'm not the kind to go around and chit chat with every person because I'm already in go mode. So uh, for me, that's, uh, that's, that's a pretty big challenge. And uh, so we work at it all the time. We, I think we work hard and we have lots of fun. We do things outside. We do volunteer things together. Uh, we, uh, go to Wheeler Mission and work in the dental clinic there once a month, volunteer, and the staff always enjoy doing that. Uh, and we do some social stuff, like uh, once a month, we try to do something outside the office. We have fun. Whoever can make it does, and whoever can't, you know, that's okay, too. So, uh, you know, it's really, I don't know, we've cultivated this, uh, it's like a family. You know, we look after each other and worry about each other and help each other. And um, so, uh, but, you know, for me, that's, uh, I don't know, it's a challenge, but it's important to, continue to work at that all the time. So it improved my skills there. From, from a, uh, uh, mentorship perspective, right? So you, you mentioned wearing all the hats and, and gosh, I, I mean, I've been in your office multiple times and it's incredibly busy. Uh, you've got, uh, Dr. Uh, Mandy Miller, um, who works with you. And, and so you've had to assume the the role of a mentor um, in the practice and, and mentor a, a, a younger dentist. What would you say uh, the biggest challenge is being in that mentor role um, early on? Well, I guess I you know have to speak from experience. I, I was associate for one year and uh, it was a very distinct, distinct. It was like my practice, her practice. Um, and, uh, you know, it worked for a year. Um, then, uh, after I, you know, probably 10 years in the practice and got busy and really for lifestyle, I wanted to be able to uh, take off to, uh, you know, chaperone the eighth grade trips to D.C. when my kids were, did that. And I, I coached uh, basketball for 15 years and Cub Scout leader for 10 years. And, you know, I wanted to be involved with my my kids and the things that they did. So I, I got an associate in the office and she worked there for almost 10 years. And we had that very distinct, we color-coded charts so that uh, uh, 
she had her patients, I had my patients, uh, and for me, it just, it was never, it never worked well. It was awkward for the staff to always think, now, who do I have to schedule them with? And, uh, if, uh, uh, I'm out of town, uh, then, you know, the emergency, if I have emergency, she's never seen the patient before. So it didn't, it didn't work out that great. So anyway, she, uh, she ended up, uh, uh, buying a practice in Knoxville and, uh, uh, then, uh, you know, I look for that right person again. And that man, I found her, I think Mandy's, uh, you know, she's athletic. She's a go-getter, good people skills, uh, good clinical skills. So, um, we have a practice, we share everything. So, uh, the patients are just a blend and, you know, you, you have to be, I guess, in the right mindset for, uh, some dentists, maybe, uh, that's not their reason uh, for, uh, having an associate, it's, you know, if, uh, if it's to, uh, incur, you know, get some more income, uh, and, uh, not share patients. It's just, I guess it depends what your goals are, but for me, it has worked out great. We share everything. So, you know, if she's, uh, out of town, uh, with her husband on a, a gig with their Irish band, uh, I'm covering for her. If I'm on vacation, I'm on a mission trip, uh, um, she covers for me and uh, I don't know, it's just, it's worked out really well for us. And I think, uh, you know, if you take an associate that, that should be uh, a responsibility of yours to be a, a mentor. So when they're, uh, you know, getting the weeds and uh, need some help and advice that you step in and, and uh, so that they can learn from that. And going back to my experience with uh, Delia Reeser, uh, she was that, uh, you know, experienced clinician that if I had a question, um, you know, she's probably seen it before and that made it, uh, so much easier to have another set of eyes and to, to give advice. So, um, I, I've tried to do that. I, I hope Mandy would say that, uh, I've been affected, but uh, effective at that. Uh, so, um, um, anyway, that's, that's how, uh, how we have done that in our office. And, uh, uh I enjoy that. We have, I have, uh, I'm on the uh, associate faculty at the dental school. So we have the uh, uh, senior students have to do a, a internship a mentoring session one week with the approved uh, practitioners. So uh, because I think I'm close to the dental school, you know, south side of Indianapolis, I, I every summer I'll have usually a student each week. So uh, I love doing that. I love talking to them um, about, uh, Oh, I don't know. Interviewing skills, hiring and firing, how to promote yourself in your practice, and how to to treat ethically, and all those things that uh, they they really don't get in dental school. They're they're focused on clinical skills, and this is an opportunity for them to come into uh, you know a practice that's uh, hitting on all cylinders and see what private practice is like, and just the flow of things is so much different than the dental school. You know, you have one patient in the morning, one in the afternoon, and I see a few more than that. So uh, they, they get to see, uh, you know, a whole different aspect. And so I, I love talking to them about all those things. And I, I guess for me, uh, I always tell them, you know, uh, you, you get uh, to where your patients are like close friends and family and you look forward to, to uh, having them come in and catching up with them and see what's going on in their, their life. And, you know, some days can be an emotional roller coaster. You got somebody comes in and say, you know, I've been diagnosed with cancer and, and, uh, you know, you, you feel for them and then you have a, your next person comes in, Oh, my daughter's finally getting married. I'm so excited. And, you know, so, uh, you have all those experiences 
And uh, so I always tell the, the students and, you know, this is jokingly, but, uh, you know, you get uh, to know them, you look forward to seeing them, you get to catch up with them uh, at least twice a year. And when they leave, they pay you. What could be better? It's, uh, uh, a great profession. And I, I have my middle one is a, a senior in medical school. And I think he's, he's picked up on that. And so he's, he knew that he wanted to go into a medical career where he could see people on an ongoing basis and, and have that same experience. So uh, anyway, he's uh, applying for or interviewing for pediatric residencies now. So hopefully he'll have that same experience seeing the, the kids grow up in the, in the practice and having kids and, you know, multiple generations of patients and getting to know them like family. Yeah. Thanks for, for sharing that. And I, I think Dr. Miller would say that you've, you've helped her out a lot and she's learned a lot from her, but we can bring her on the podcast and ask, and then you can, you can just tune in and, and hear what she <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but no, I've, I've had enough conversations with, with, with Mandy over, over, over the, the years that, yeah, I know a lot of people speak very highly of, of the work, like we said, from the top that you've made an impact on a lot of dentists around the, the state and outside the state too. But as we, we kind of wind down, interested to hear what has you excited in the next 12 months, whether it's personal, professional, you can kind of take that in any direction. What's, what's kind of percolating in, in your brain today? Um, well, I, I don't know, good or bad. I'll, I'll be ending my year as uh, IDA president. I hope that uh, ends on a good note and I can look back and, and uh, feel like I accomplished something and, and did a, a decent job for organization. Um, I, uh, because of COVID, we kind of put a, a halt on it, but uh, I want to get back to uh, transitioning the, the practice. The plan was for, for Dr. Miller to uh, uh, take over and for me to, to be the associate. And, uh, you know, as I, uh, I, I want to uh, have all that taken care of so that uh, I know that my practice is in good hands and, you know, I can retire at some point uh, or I don't want to say retire. Um, probably when I when I'm 85, I may go to like two or three days a week. So I, I will slow <laughs> down at some point. Uh, so that that's kind of the the plan. So that's uh, what I've got uh, targeted. Um, I think uh, you know there's a lot of uh, issues in dentistry. I want to continue to be involved. Um, I think we have a, a manpower shortage. The IDA did a survey and uh, we found like after COVID, 7% of dentists have said, uh, I'm selling my practice or closing the doors. I don't want to have to deal with all the PPA, PPE and all the new regulations. Um, uh, we found that like 75% of dentists are looking for a hygienist and our expanded uh, duties dental assistant. So I think we need to address that. We're working on that. Um, student debt's an issue. We've got to keep uh, working on that. Ohio has a model that you can get uh, loan repayment for uh, uh, working in uh, uh, areas that have needs. So, uh, you know, I think there's another thing I'd like to work on. I think diversity, gosh, uh, when I was in school, like 20% of my class was female. Um, now it's 52% female. So that, I think that's going to change the way uh, our uh, organization operates boy, uh, because of COVID, we have been forced to do so many Zoom meetings. And on Fridays, typically we'd have committee meetings, the IDA office. For me, it's convenient. I can buzz downtown and be at our office in no time. But we've had people coming from South Bend and Evansville for 
committee meetings on our meeting and wow what an inefficient use of of time and energy and cost and if you have a couple meetings you have to do an overnight stay so i don't think we'll ever go back to having all the face-to-face meetings that we had before so i think there'll be a, a lot of changes and, and challenges but you know those are uh things that you know i look forward to continue even though i won't be president uh i hope to stay involved in committee levels and uh, be active because uh, it's just been a part of me for so long so as, as we close up, we'd like to uh, provide you with the opportunity to ask Isaiah or I, or and I, um, a question that, that you might have for us. Um, if you have one, shoot. Uh, you know, guys, I really don't have a question, but I, I, I really want to take this opportunity because I know both of you at times have uh, sponsored ID, IDDS and IDA events and uh, – we just we really appreciate that partnership and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, have that uh, ongoing in the future. So, you know, thanks for uh, supporting organized dentistry and supporting our profession. That's greatly appreciated. We need you people. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. It's always it's always a, a joy. Yep. Happy to do it. And I think there is a good spot to, to stop for today, but thank you so much for the time this morning. And yeah, truly a, a pleasure to, to kind of chat and record our conversation today. It was an honor. Thanks for asking. Thank you for joining us on Dentistry Uncut. If you didn't know, now you know. Thank you for listening to today's show. The comments on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management and is also a registered investment advisor. Nathan Courtney is a practice transition consultant with Legacy Practice Transitions and a dental business advisor with Cloverleaf Advisory Group, where he's also an owner. The biggest compliment you can give is to share our podcast with a friend. Your reviews will help our listening audience grow. Apple Podcast is the primary platform for our listeners. If you have a few minutes and you love the show, please head over to Apple Podcast and give us an honest review and rating. For all of today's links and show information, head over to www.dentistryuncut.com. Again, that's www.dentistryuncut.com. There, you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast platform, so you won't miss out on the next episode. Thanks for listening.